Work can be a distraction. It can also be very productive. Social media can be a distraction. It can also be great. Uh, it's about whether we do those things with intent, whether it's traction and it's according to our values or it's a distraction and pulls us away from what we really want. Welcome to Why Would Anyone? My name is Tanya Rabesandratana. In this podcast and newsletter, I explore intrinsic motivation in our daily lives and I wonder why we do the things we do. I'm excited to introduce my first guest, Nir Eyal, to talk about how to stay focused. Eyal is a behavioral designer, an investor, and the author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and many tech companies turn to him to create products that users cannot put down. Then he wrote the antidote book, Indestructible, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. That's the book we discussed today. Now, there are plenty of tips and tricks out there to be more focused and productive. But in this conversation, we're going to concentrate on why we get distracted in the first place. So I speak with Eyal about time management as pain management. We also talk about children and why his daughter doesn't go to school. And of course, we talk about intrinsic motivation. Ding, 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 ding. So let's start with the basics. What does it mean to you to be indestructible? So being indistractable means you are as honest with yourself as you are with others. It means striving to do what you say you're going to do. Um, so it's the kind of person who um, says they're going to do something, whether it's uh, to exercise or eat right or be fully present with their family or finish that big project to work or save money. Whatever it is that you say you're going to do, an indistractable person uh, strives to do what they say they're going to do in business and in life. Distractible people live their life with regret. They look back and they say, oh, why was I working on stuff that didn't help me move my business forward? Why was I not fully present with my kids? And I was worrying about drama or television or Facebook as opposed to being with people I love. The media doesn't give a shit about what you do with your time as long as you spend it with them. Uh, the media is never going to tell you you've had enough news, you've had enough Netflix, you've had enough Facebook. Uh, their interest is to get you hooked. And I know how they get you hooked. I wrote the book on it. <laughs> and I know all their tips and tricks. But I can tell you that they're good, but they're not that good. That we have the ability to take back our time and attention if we so choose. If I play devil's advocate a little bit, how about uh, being approachable, being available, being uh, flexible. I recommend that people do spend time to be available to their business colleagues, to their children, whatever the case might be. But that time should be planned in advance because if you don't plan that time, your entire day becomes a distraction. So my daughter and I, for example, we have uh, actually today, uh, this afternoon, uh, we have planned uh, spontaneity, scheduled spontaneity. Now that sounds like an oxymoron. How can you schedule spontaneity? But the reason we do that is that we have a big four hour block of time to be together and we don't know what we're going to do, right? We might go to the museum. We might go get some ice cream, might go to the library. We're not sure what we're going to do, but I know what I will not be doing. I will not be checking my cell phone. I will not be on social media. I will not be answering work emails. I will be with my daughter. I will be fully present with her. So that has to be scheduled because she also knows when I'm doing my work, that's a time when I can't be uh, distracted, when I can't be interrupted. Many people, the problem is they try and do everything all at once. 
And that yeah. satisfies nobody. Now you said you were you tended to blame everybody and everything else, and you also felt some shame about yourself and about your inability to focus. Where's the happy medium? So there's a third way. So there's the blamer. The blamer says this is happening because of things outside of myself, right? They're the victim. They're uh, it's social media. It's my boss. It's my kids. It's all this stuff outside of my outside of me. And of course, that's a that's a very victim mentality that doesn't help you actually do anything about it. The shamer they take it on the inside. They shame themselves. It's not that what I do is wrong. It's I am wrong. That's the difference between uh, shaming and blaming. It's something that I am somehow broken. So the third way is to not be a claimer. Uh, sorry, not to be a blamer, not to be a shamer, but to be what we call a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility not for how they feel, but how they react to those feelings. So many people conflate uh, a feeling with something they can control. And that's not true. You cannot control an urge. If you have the urge to check your phone, an urge to eat something unhealthy, an urge to smoke a cigarette, you don't control that urge. You cannot control urges. What you can control is how you respond to the urge. It's about having that toolkit ready to go so that when distraction and those uncomfortable urges rear their ugly head, we know how to fight them. Because you talk about the fact that time management is pain management, right? So we're dealing with the pain. We're trying to avoid that pain. But we're not really dealing with the thing in the first place. Maybe if I'm distracted, it's because I'm unhappy. Maybe I'm not in the right place. Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. And I should deal with that in the first place rather than trying to just, you know, do time blocking. Absolutely. Oh, so that that is that is the internal trigger. That is the internal trigger. The internal trigger is why can't I sit with my child without looking at my phone? The internal trigger is why am I constantly wanting to do everything but the work that I get paid to do? The internal trigger is uh, why am I trying to escape being around other people by having to drink? That's the internal trigger. It's absolutely the real, the real deal, the uncomfortable work that many of us don't want to do of what, what am I trying to escape? Distraction is always an escape from an uncomfortable sensation, boredom, fearfulness, stress, anxiety, fatigue, loneliness. That's step number one, whether it's uh, watching the news to worry about somebody's problems 3,000 miles away or, uh, you know, a, a drink <laughs> uh, or, or, or football or Facebook. It doesn't matter. You're always going to find a distraction unless you know what that deeper real problem is. And that's where we have to start. You know, we, there's a lot of people who say, oh, just meditate your problems away. No, I think there's many problems you need to get off your butt and fix, for God's sakes. You hate your job? Find a new one, right? Is is uh, relationships uh, need mending? Okay, let's fix them. Let's do something about it. Mm. But not every problem can be fixed, right? Sometimes there are internal triggers that just come from being alive, <laughs> right? That sometimes we feel crappy, that we feel like shit. And we can't always control those sensations. So in those cases, we need tools to deal with those sensations in a healthy way that lead us towards traction rather than trying to escape them with distraction. So that's that's why it's not about the activity itself, right? Work can be a distraction. It can also be very productive. Social media can be a distraction. It can also be great. Uh, it's about whether we do those things with intent, whether it's traction and it's according to our values or it's a distraction and pulls us away from what we really want. I think you've really answered the question I was asking all the time without really getting to it. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, I want to talk about the link between intrinsic motivation and distraction. You write in the book that all motivation is desire to escape discomfort, which we've talked about. 
my understanding of intrinsic motivation is that it's not about avoiding external negative consequences like punishments, but on the contrary, seeking things that interest us and give us joy. Um, so it's different from trying to avoid pain, but it's really seeking joy. So what's, how do you articulate the two things? Even if I, let's say it's the, uh, the intrinsic motivation of, I want to paint, I want to be with my kids, I want to take a walk. These are all things that you know many people find to be intrinsically motivated and there's no prize at the end for doing these things. Even that, that urge, that sensation, that desire, that craving, that itch to do that thing is psychologically stabilizing. So even that is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort. You know, we think about carrots and sticks and pain and pleasure, but I think it's a very, it's not a very useful metaphor. If we only do the, the things that feel good, we don't have a very enriching deep life. Sometimes you have to have conversations that don't feel good. Sometimes you have to do work that doesn't feel good. Sometimes you have to uh, uh, make decisions today that are not so fun, but for benefit long-term, like eating healthy or saving money, right? We want to spend now, we, but we don't want to save. So it's, it, I think if we only look for the things that are pleasurable, we don't, we don't get the kind of life we want. Yeah, there's something quite liberating in what you're saying, that if we have to chase pleasure all the time, it's exhausting. Right. It's, it's unrealistic. It's exhausting. And I think it gives people a motivation to quit because they say, you know, I, I read a book on how to make habits and I've been doing this. And this still sucks. It's still hard. <laughs> I don't like it. So maybe I'm broken. Well, it's not, you're not broken. It's that the methodology is broken. It's there's many things should not and will never be easy. I'll, I'll give you a great example. So I am a professional public speaker. And it's ironic because I used to have crazy stage fright. You know, this is what I used to say to myself. Wait a minute. If I'm anxious and I feel horrible and all I want to do is run away, maybe I'm not really a public speaker. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'll never be good at this because look, if I'm feeling this way, this must be evidence that I'm not good at it because I'm not enjoying it. That's not helpful, right? So I changed my mindset. Now my mindset is when I do, when I am about to go on stage and I feel crazy, the most anxious I ever feel is right before I go on stage and my heart's racing, I change the script that I say that these physiological and psychological responses aren't my enemy. They're not signs that I'm somehow not cut out for the job, but actually they're serving me. When I feel my heart racing, instead of the old bad scripts I used to use, I think to myself, wait a minute, my heart is racing because my brain needs more oxygen right now. So my heart is pumping faster to send more oxygen to my brain so I can deliver my best possible talk, right? When you say change your mindset, you, th you mean, talking to yourself. Right, right. How we see these, the, how we see the world around us. I mean, there's no rule that says feeling sad is going to harm you or, you know, that's a bad thing. It's up for interpretation. So we can change that interpretation. That's what it means to change our mindset. Do you think that is available for everyone? I'm trying to be really mindful of like being aware of the privilege that I might have and that some things might not be available to everyone. You know, if you look at who struggles uh, with distraction in, in many, many forms of their life, in my experience, it's not the person who has necessarily the most adversity. Many times the person with the most privilege, right? It's, it's the spoiled rich kid who blames the world for their circumstances. It's not the person working the three jobs. They know what they need to do with their time and attention because other people depend on them, that the world has, in fact, forced them to be focused because their kids need them, their spouse needs them, their parents need them. Like They, they don't have the luxury of getting distracted. 
many times it's people who have the world at their plate, uh, you know, the, at their feet, or they can do whatever they want, who spend the most time spinning their wheels. Ding, 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 ding. I want to talk about school. And you say school tends to rob children of their basic needs for autonomy and competence and uh, connectedness. And you quote psychologist Richard Ryan, who's um, one of the founders of self-determination theory. He says, whenever children enter middle school, whenever they start leaving home-based classrooms and going to the more police state style of schools, where bells are ringing, detentions are happening, punishment is occurring, they're learning right then that this is not an intrinsically motivating environment. So that's a pretty depressing picture. So just like the internet is amazing and also has some costs, institutionalized learning is amazing and has many, many costs. Self-determination theory tells us these three macronutrients for our, our minds, right? We need uh, autonomy, mastery, and relatedness. And these are the three things that institutionalized learning takes away from children, for some children. I, I won't say everyone, but for many children. I think it's very helpful to approach that with, with compassion, to realize, you know what, you probably wouldn't trade places with them, right? There's only two places in the world that you're told what to do, what to wear, what to think, who to be friends with, what to eat all day, and that's school and prison. So how many of us would trade places with our kids? It's, it sucks. So it's not, not that all is lost. We need to compensate. So uh, starting with understanding that we should give our children more opportunities to have autonomy, mastery, and relatedness. Uh, one of the best things you can do, there's, there's a magic solution that provides all three psychological nutrients, and that is free play. That free play is in severe decline in the industrialized world, that children used to have time just to be kids. And today that's, that's uh, decreasing because uh, one, at least in the States, you know, children were, or parents were told, you know, stranger danger, never let your kid go outside because someone might kidnap them. And the media scared the crap out of everyone. And it's just not true. This is still the safest time in history to be a child. Kidnappings are, are rarer than ever, but parents are so scared. They don't let their kids outside or, and this happens a lot in Asia where I am right now, kids are so hyper-scheduled right? They have the, the uh, Kumon lessons and the test prep and the Mandarin and the swimming and the ballet. They're so hyper-scheduled that they have no time to just be kids, just play with their friends without being told what to do by parents, coaches, and teachers. And what do we do about school? What do we do about school itself? That's not my uh, area of expertise in terms of how do we reform school itself. I can only, you know, give you a, a parent's perspective. What I do is we homeschool. <laughs> so she homeschools in the morning uh, from eight to noon. At noon, we have lunch together. And then the rest of the day, she plays. She plays with other homeschoolers. But that's not, that's not a solution for everyone. So the most important thing we want to give our daughter is the ability to be an autodidact. That's like one of my favorite words. Autodidact is someone who can teach themselves. So the internet has given her the ability to do that in a way that we couldn't in my, in my generation, right? I'm 44. Like when I was her age, there was no internet. We could not do that. But now we can let her kind of steer her own education. There might be other ways to do it, right? Like maybe there are learning centers where kids go during the day and homeschool themselves and parents can still go to work. Does it have to be okay, a bell rings and there's 30 kids listening to some, some lecturer talk about boring stuff they don't care about. Is that really, is that the best we can do? <laughs> Maybe not. You say it's something like um, surgeons don't leave the operating theater when school calls to, because their child is sick. Um, they make plans. They rely on a friend or someone else to go pick up the child. Uh, so why is it okay for that someone else, your friend or your 
spouse to be distracted and do those tasks and not for you? And what if I decide that this is a distraction I actually want in my life, that I want to be the person who is going to pick up my child? You can definitely be a writer and a parent. You just can't do it all at the same time, right? And this is what people, I think, where they go off track is that they put too many expectations on themselves. They think, I'm going to crank out this manuscript while I'm being an available good parent at the same time. I don't know how to do that. You have to make time in your day for an hour or two of writing where your kid is not allowed to bother you, right? Not allowed to distract you. And that means putting in contingency plans. That means gives, putting them in daycare. That means having a, a friend or neighbor uh, take your kid for a little bit. That means putting in a plan in place so that you can do your out, you know, few hours of writing. And then when you're with your kid, be fully with your kid. So that's what you mean by time blocking. Exactly. You can, you can have it in the course of your day, right? The brain surgeon can't come home to their family, of course. But the brain surgeon can't be with their family while they're doing the operation. Okay. Can we talk uh, briefly about some of the tools you mentioned in the book? I can spend hours making a really pretty color-coded, time-blocked schedule on Google Sheets, but um, and then I will never do anything with it. The tools are cheap, right? The tips and tricks, that's the tactics. What's more important is the strategy. Once you understand the strategy, you can understand, you can come up with your own tactics. So tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. In terms of your comment of, oh, you know, I make a schedule, but then I don't stick with it. So it's a practice that gets easier with time. So I would start by planning just one day, right? Just one day, maybe even a weekend. And it doesn't have to be down to the, to the you know, every minute increment. It can be, you know, 20, 30 minutes at a time is how you block out your day. Maybe you have, you know, two hours or three hours to be with, with your family, for example. Uh, and you don't have to plan out what you're going to do that time. You're just going to plan out family time, for example. And then see what that feels like. The, the right mindset is not to be a drill sergeant. The right mindset is to be a scientist. A scientist makes a hypothesis, runs an experiment, and then sees the result and then runs another experiment. It gets easier and easier over time. And today, maybe I spend 10 minutes a week adjusting the calendar. And it's on, that's on my calendar too, by the way, Sunday nights, <laughs> uh, 8 p.m. <laughs> I look at my calendar for the week ahead and I make adjustments uh, accordingly. We're reaching the end. That was, that was very thoughtful questions. I appreciate it. And I, I, I like that uh, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're working with this stuff yourself. That's fantastic. Thank you. I'm good at thinking about stuff, but... Um... You know, not necessarily putting them into practice. Um, <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you to Nir Eyal and to you for listening to our conversation. If you would like to find out more about his work and his books, Indestructible and Hooked, go to his website, nirandfar.com. That's N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R.com. This was the first episode of the Why Would Anyone podcast with me, Tanya Rabe-Sandratana. For the complete show notes, go to my newsletter about intrinsic motivation. That's T-A-N-I-A.substack.com. Finally, I want to let you know I am the recipient of the first annual Attuned Writer Fellowship. Attuned is a psychology and AI-powered platform that tracks and measures intrinsic motivation to boost employee engagement, drive performance, and make work more meaningful. Find out more and sign up for a free demo at attuned.ai. Thank you, until soon. <laughs>